Hey, welcome back, everybody. RT Machine Podcast here. We got episode 10, and we have a special guest today, Joe Strauss, formerly of Hermance Machine. You want to introduce yourself, Joe? Well, I'm Joe Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> formerly of Hermance Machine. Man. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Who so, else we have in the room here? I'm Ron. I'm a guy that runs this place, I guess. The head cheese. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm Eric, the guy that cleans up after him. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm Ryan. I'm one of the ones who makes a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're hoping to have a great show today. So Yeah, so we brought Joe in. Uh, uh, a lot of people ask us to maybe provide some help or some information on how somebody builds a company, and Joe built a heck of a company over at Hermance, uh, one of the largest machinery dealers in the country. So we asked him to come in and uh, chat with us a little bit. So maybe Joe can start off telling us what he did before he was a machinery dealer and how he became a machinery dealer. Well, it's kind of a uh, bit of a serendipitous uh, 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 event where I started out after college at Piper Aircraft. And uh, after about uh, three years or so learning uh, the ropes of international finance and credit, I uh, went from financing airplanes to financing uh, mining equipment for Joy Manufacturing out in Pittsburgh. And mm. had various uh, jobs at Joy from international finance, uh, international marketing, and then their uh, company economist. Um, <laughs> and uh, got involved in merger and acquisition type uh, analyses. And when, I, uh, when Joy was taken private, I was thrown out on the street and... Uh, looked for something to do, and found an opportunity in my old hometown of Williamsport. And so you were originally from Williamsport? Originally from Williamsport, and uh, lived 15 years out in Pittsburgh. Uh, walked into a uh, business broker in the north suburbs of Pittsburgh and looking for a company to buy. And in the interviewing process, they said, well, maybe we can find a Perkins Pancake franchise or a Jiffy Lube or something like that. And as, uh, as I was leaving, they said, by the way, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Williamsport. And they said, well, we have a company in our clothes file here that uh, in Williamsport. Uh, Do you ever hear of Hermance Machine Company? And I said, they sponsored a little league team, but uh, other than that, I don't know anything about them. Hmm. And so um, they said, well, it's under contract. So this was a Friday afternoon. They said, uh, uh, it's in our clothes file. And so I went back and I... Uh, called back home and did a little research and on Monday I went back to the business broker and I says if that business hasn't sold I want to go see it and so they uh, they called the uh, listing broker and they said no we don't want anybody messing around we got a deal we've been working on it two years and so uh, uh, long story short I went in on Wednesday of that week met the owner and uh, John, John Monks John Monks hit it off well with him and uh, stayed around for uh, a couple more days, uh, lined up an accountant, a, uh, uh, an attorney, and uh, started talking to banks. And um, came back the next week and started doing uh, business plans for the bank in order to get some financing. And on that Friday of the second week, this is exactly two weeks after I first heard the name Hermance, I made a deal. Hmm. Wow. Sat in the seller's attorney's office with my attorney, the business broker that wanted their commission, and uh, and made a deal. Wow. So uh, it was interesting. I didn't know anything about the industry, <laughs> didn't know anything about the equipment. Uh, I was in the first stage of, of knowledge, which is I didn't know I didn't know. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> I started uh, commuting in and coming in uh, uh, every Monday and going back to Pittsburgh on Friday, learning as much as I could about the business. And, and John stuck around, I assume, for a while? The This was in April, uh, and we had the closing July 17th, and uh, the arrangement with John was he was going to stay for six months to teach me everything I needed to know wow. about the business. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you better be a good sponge, right? <laughs> so, at that point, 
I reached the second level of knowledge where I knew I didn't know. <laughs> and I was uh, panic-stricken when I had to start taking phone calls from customers. And so uh, I went to the third stage of knowledge where I sought knowledge. And so I soaked up everything I could. And, of course, we had the closing. John was to stay six months. At the end of six months, uh, John came in one, one morning. He goes, Joe, he says, well, he says, here are the car keys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been great. And I says, what are you doing? He goes, well, six months. And I says, well, can't you stay? Yeah. And so uh, he, uh, he agreed to, uh, to stay. I says, what, what do you want, John, in order to stay? He says, well, how about $100 a day? Wow. And I, that's a deal. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and he says, and can you sell me the, the company car for what it's on the books for? Not, not the blue book value, but what's on the books, depreciated. I said, absolutely. So um, the John ended up staying a total of 22 months. And just thank God because uh, it, it was a real uphill battle to learn enough about the business in order to be able to start answering questions. But I very quickly learned that the only way I was going to succeed was to hire people that were smarter than me and let them do their things. Mm-hmm. So I was never really involved in sales. Uh, I tried to keep a little bit of a sales territory and I very quickly learned that uh, the customers weren't served very well by, a, by a, a, uh, a finance guy that really didn't know anything about application. Right. Um, so I got uh, enough uh, uh, stripes on my sleeve that at that point I uh, reached the fourth, sta- fourth stage of knowledge. I knew that I knew. But then somebody asked me a question, and I very quickly realized – I was back at the beginning. I didn't know that I didn't know. (laughs) How many employees did did you have inherited with the company? When I bought the company, there were 12 employees. Five of Mm. them were in a union. Mm. Um, And um, the the one thing about Hermance is, although it was a sleepy little company, uh, John had an excellent reputation. He was a very, very honest man. And... uh, uh, never cheated anybody, and uh, that fit well with my sense of values. There was no way that I was going to interrupt that. Right. Yeah, Hermann's machine started. What year did it originally? Nineteen oh two. So yeah. Wow. Now, um, always there, by the monks family. No, uh, the guy by the name of Albert Hermann's uh, started Hermann's. He was a partner with a guy by the name of. Um, uh, Edwin Raleigh, and they had a company called Raleigh and Hermance that was in Williamsport, which in 1896, I believe this is pretty accurate, um, uh, Raleigh and Hermance was combined with some other uh, machinery people, became Williamsport Machine, and then eventually became American Machine, and then eventually became Yates American. Oh, yeah. So uh, Yates American has ties back to Williamsport. Wow. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's interesting. But uh, Albert, or uh, uh, Raleigh, I think, died in 1892. Uh, His former home is across from uh, St. Joseph the Worker uh, Parish in Williamsport. It's the Edwin, it's the Raleigh House Museum now. And uh, uh, the... Hermian's house is the first house after the old YMCA on 4th Street, big brick house on the corner. That, that's, that was the Hermian's uh, 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 mansion. Hmm. Oh, wow, cool. Albert Hermian's died in, I think, 1913. Uh, in the meantime, uh, from the start in 1902, uh, around 1904, Lou Monks went to work for Hermian's as a stenographer. And... Um, Lou Monk started uh, gaining shares of, of stock, and somewhere around 1920, uh, some years after Albert Hermance died, uh, Albert uh, uh, Hermance became, I'm, I'm sorry, Lou Monks became the full owner of Hermance Machine Company. Oh, wow. And then his son 
uh, took over for him somewhere in the uh, 60s, I think. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So John was the son or John was the... John was the son. Okay. Lou, Lou, was, uh, Lou was the owner for years, and as Lou got on in years, uh, uh, some of the stories about his antics were uh, kind of humorous. He would uh, come in in the morning, he would read the paper, uh, he would uh, 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 collect the mail, he would open the mail and sort it, and then he would go to lunch at the Ross Club, and um, he would have a two-martini lunch, and the Ross Club <laughs> knew him well, so the martinis were well watered down. <laughs> then uh, Lou, as he got on in years, he uh, would go out and he would try to find his car. He couldn't find it, so he'd go back in, and he would call back to Hermes, <laughs> and somebody would come down and pick him up, and they would drive around town and find his car. Wow. Then. Uh, while he was at lunch, the office staff would go to the wastebasket and they'd pull the checks out and take the uh, envelopes that he had put on the, the bookkeeper's desk and throw those away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, like interesting so, days. <laughs> so John didn't uh, really get control of the company from his dad till he was in his 50s. Mm. <laughs> and John had a daughter, Kathy. I don't know any other children. She she was she's still in the business out west. Somewhere. Actually, uh, uh, John had a, uh, two daughters and a son, and the son was David. Uh, is David? I remember. And that. David married a gal by the name of Kathy. Oh, is Hyatt, that? Uh, and she was in the is in the machinery business. Oh, that so she's not so a daughter. She's okay. a daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. And David didn't take want to take over the company, and uh, his hobby was building wooden boats, and he's. Uh, still, I guess, doing that out, I believe, in Port Townsend, Washington. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought Kathy was the daughter. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I got bad information or if I just made an assumption. I think I made the assumption. <laughs> yeah, that was just assumptions, yeah. And they made machinery originally. They made, I remember the gang rip saws, molders, Herm, the old Hermance molders, 300 GS gang ribs. Hermance made a... a uh, wide array of woodworking machineries. They made single antenners. Oh, uh, I've seen those. Uh, I understand, although I, uh, I may be wrong on this, that Hermience invented the concept of a top-blade straight-line ripsaw. Hmm. And so um, uh, uh, I bought one here a number of years ago, have it uh, uh, still in the Hermience building, uh, which I still own and, of course, rent to the Worth Company. Right. Yeah, we had an old uh, Hermance gang rip. Yeah. When did they stop doing the foundry work? Do you know when? The foundry was closed in, I think, around 1940, 42, somewhere around in the uh, war years. And that was just a warehouse then. Uh, it still is there now as a warehouse. Gotcha. Is that your building? Was the foundry or a different building? The uh, the building the foundry building was separated from the main building, uh, as was the custom because of uh, the uh, safety for yeah. fire, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, in between the the foundry and the main building, there was a, a Ford shop. There was a uh, uh, pattern storage building. And there were a number of miscellaneous buildings in there. Which uh, uh, shortly after buying the the business uh, cleared most of that out, put a couple of new buildings in between. Did they continue having somebody else do the, the forgings for the equipment? Williamsport Foundry, was, uh, uh, who, which was recently closed over on Maynard Street, just a block away, did all the foundry work for After the war years. Yeah. And you, you tried to get into manufacturing machines again at one point, I believe? Yeah, we bought the uh, Newport Machine uh, Company, which uh, makes the closed half-joint uh, uh, window mullion. Uh, right, yeah. And, uh, uh, of course, Worth didn't want that business when uh, when they bought me out, so I had to sell that off. Right. A company down in Lancaster now has that company. Mm. And didn't you did you try to make the ripsaws again at one point, the Hermann's ripsaw or not? I made uh, the ripsaws for a number of years and totally redesigned it in around 1990, and uh, uh, not the basic castings, but uh, the controls, rather than having all the, the sprockets and the, uh, 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 I forget what they call Gear, it, a reeves drive or whatever, yeah, right, right, uh, right. 
that uh, went to an inverted drive. And uh, I, uh, being the accountant I was, I was looking at these numbers, and I finally said, boy, every time I miss a sale, I'm going to celebrate because I lost so much <laughs> money on each one. <laughs> but I just yeah. felt that the, uh, the legacy of Hermance was in manufacturing, and I wanted to uh, stay in it. But um, 1991, I made the last Hermance gang ripsaw four years after buying the company and closed oh, wow. that out. Yeah, yeah. So they, they were a dealer uh, at the, when you bought it more so than a manufacturer, and, and you grew that part of the business, obviously. Right. Back in those, uh, those days prior to uh, my wife and I buying Hermance, the, uh, as I understood the way the industry was run, uh, uh, each of these little dealers around the country uh, had their exclusive territories and uh, gentlemen's agreement. They all respected them, and uh, and I think that um, uh, Roy Liebcott was instrumental in kind of breaking that uh, that tradition. That's and, true. Uh, Probably mostly Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Good day. <laughs> yeah, because it was that way. Root BM Root was like the deal dealer, and that southern part of Pennsylvania, Hermans had it, and the northern part of Pennsylvania, they stayed out of each other's territory. Right. And BM Root was a dealer for Hermans machines, and Hermans dealt root machines right. in their territory. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that all went away yeah. uh, at some somewhere around that time, and everybody was selling everywhere. Right. Yeah. So you had. Um, I remember Conrad was one of your guys when you started, and uh, how many other salesmen did you have in the beginning? Uh, that was it. Oh, Conrad was it. Conrad was it, uh, and uh, he uh, he was allowed to go out two days a week and sell. Three days a week, he had to stay and man the phones for taking parts orders. And that, well, under John. Under John. Okay. Yeah. And so I very quickly uh, said, "Well, uh, if we're going to grow the business, uh, I need you out five days a week." And so uh, I converted uh, Conrad from an inside salesman to uh, strictly an outside salesman, and his income went up dramatically. I'll bet. I'll bet. He was good. He, he knew. Well, he knew a lot about it. how long had he been doing it. Oh, uh, I, I think he. It may have been his only job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then how do you go about finding people to add to the sales force? That was probably the biggest struggle uh, because I had a lot of salesmen that fizzled out real quick. Uh, but uh, yeah, eventually uh, uh, I found that the, the way to – make the salesman successful was to give them a limited territory but exclusive. And uh, it was absolutely inviolate. When a, uh, uh, a sale went down, if it was in the salesman's territory, he got a commission. didn't matter who worked on it. And uh, when we, uh, uh, as we built up the sales force and we would start dealing with companies that uh, had multiple locations, it was a bit of a challenge. How do you uh, how do you deal with this fairly? So uh, I got the salesmen together, and I says, guys, every every one of you has these potential conflicts. How do we want to handle it? And they said, we finally agreed that the the zip code where this where the machine lands, the commission belongs to that salesman. If he wants to share it with the salesman that maybe covers the headquarters office or where maybe most of the negotiations took place, that was up to him, and the company will do the accounting, but the only split will be 50-50. It's not going to be 90-10 or anything right. like that. Okay. And that that just worked fabulously. Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, that's always a uh, conflict, you know, when you got Conestoga has a plant in one guy's territory and they have another yep. plant in the exactly. guy's territory. Yep. That's always a problem. But I had a, a guiding principle, and that was to, uh, everything had to be clear, consistent, and fair. And if I covered all three of those bases, everybody was equally happy or equally unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as long as they knew where, where they stood. Exactly. Yeah. Clear, consistent, and fair. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So then you started picking up salesmen, and I assume product lines was... And was product lines, yeah. Of course, uh, uh, one of the things that I... I remember saying to John, we were talking about exclusive uh, territories, 
And I said, well, I don't really want exclusives. I want to I want to have access to as many lines as I can uh, and sell them whatever we, sell them wherever we can. And he goes, Joey says you're going to learn that exclusives are your best friend. And he was he was very true. Yeah, so absolutely. We, yeah. So he did he have many lines in the beginning when you No. Uh we uh I don't I don't recall that we had uh more than than two exclusive lines uh and they were very minor things like uh, whirlwind up cut saws or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh I remember that uh we had the time savers uh line but uh we didn't have the exclusive bill reed up above us in jamestown new york uh had an exclusive territory and then access to the territory we covered and i might have been been root had uh uh exclusive territory below us but then they shared with uh with hermans and bill reed access to the middle part of the state oh yeah it got pretty complicated huh? it was really messy yeah I haven't, I haven't heard Bill Reed's name in a long time. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if he's still around. So I don't believe he is. Probably not. No. Yeah. He was older. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. So, so your method to growth was people, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hire good people and let them do their thing. Yeah. Uh, I uh, always have to toe the line between uh, being a uh, uh a manager and not stepping over the line to being a micromanager. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes a babysitter, maybe sometimes a babysitter. (laughs) (laughs) That can happen. Right. How many people did you grow the company to? We got up to, I think it was 42 or 43. Mm. And of course, then when, when worth uh, bought us, we had to get rid of the Newport manufacturing, had to get rid of the, um, robotics integration and had to get rid of the cutter head manufacturing which essentially then we uh closed up the machine shop so right uh, we no longer uh hermes underworth no longer has any of those uh, so they don't make anything they don't repair anything it's just no, now a- no we were uh, we always prided ourselves if somebody had a machine and it broke down there weren't parts available we could make them right right and you did both new and used equipment out of your facility. Yeah, I at times we got up to where about twenty percent of our total sales dollars were used, but uh, it never got much above that, and uh, it never got much below about ten percent of our business. And you you did a lot of brokering. You weren't a big buyer. I mean, you did buy, but actually, I was mostly a buyer. Oh, is that right? Uh, and I found that uh, it it worked quite well. And while I sat on my inventory longer, the used machine inventory longer than the new machines, uh, the gross margins were higher, uh, and we had uh, a lot of our own equity in it uh, doing the repairs because mm-hmm. we liked uh, we we liked to fix machines and make them look nice. Right, right. And as a finance guy, I'm sure you kept pretty good track of that. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I knew exactly what my turns were for uh, my investment dollars in every machinery line we had, and also, of course, the the used machines. Do you remember what your turn number was for your used equipment? Uh, Turns were uh, two times a year. My turns on my new machines were seven times a year. Really? That's impressive. And how much did you stock? I mean, can you share any kind of like dollar volume, how much you had sitting in, in new equipment? I think my new new machines, of course, it, uh, it grew over the years, but sure. uh, uh, was usually in the 2 to $3 million a year uh, inventory value. Yeah, that's quite a bit. And I know our, our used machine inventory uh, – by count was uh, usually uh, 300, 350, 400 machines at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you uh, you were involved in quite a bit of the organizations. You uh, did a lot of networking that way. With, uh, we were in UWME together, WMIA. You were, you were like on boards? I was on presidents. boards of uh, both the, uh, 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 the Dealers Association and then the WMIA. 
uh, I never wanted to be president. I, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, I was just too busy running the company. You didn't want to get that suite, ever, uh, no. that conference. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what they do? They, yeah, the, uh, the president, president always, gets the always got a big suite, yeah. and uh, <laughs> would always have a big cocktail party in this. Yeah. In the suite? It is, it is a nice suite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were in it? I went to the cocktail party at WIC a few years ago. <laughs> like, I, I could see the appeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it probably takes up time, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting involved in that stuff. Any other advice you can share with uh, people about building a company? Probably the the most important thing is to not be intimidated by people that are smarter than you, because if you can hire the smartest people and the most industrious people and give them the, the leeway to do what they want, they'll they'll make you a lot of money. And I had no problems with uh, salesmen making more money than I did. Hmm. That's nice. It's very humble advice. Yeah. Did did you uh, somebody told me that the salesman had kind of free reign to make do the negotiations? Did you micromanage those, or did they make their decisions? The salesman had ap- almost ex- exclusive ability to set deals. Uh, they would come to me for uh, for input when they felt it was uh, appropriate. Uh, now I I would uh, pretty much set the trade-in values. So uh, uh, every once in a while I uh, uh, would have a, a salesman that would uh, want to give uh, an extremely high trade-in value, uh, and the trade-in values were treated as cash in the transaction in computing the salesman's commission. So the salesman got a percentage of gross margin. So let's say a, a new machine uh, uh, sales price was $50,000, uh, and the uh, used machine uh, they're trading in is worth maybe $10,000. If they bumped that up to $20,000, they could make the deal sweeter for themselves. Oh, wow. So I, I kind of monitored that, but my, my salesman uh, over the years, I had so few instances where they – uh, try to game the system, and uh, uh, just we we were family. We, yeah, we were team. That's the way to do it. You have to have a team, and yeah. everybody's on on for the same goal. All after the same goal, yeah. and the and the ultimate goal was a satisfied customer. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And yet, a service crew. We uh, had a very good service crew. I mentioned earlier that uh, when I bought the company, there was five uh, five members of a union and uh, it took I think four years uh, to uh, move away from the union and the way I did it was uh, I we had an annual contract with the union which is unusual Uh, but uh, uh, every year we negotiated and every year I held the line with them meanwhile I gave more benefits to the non-bargaining people and then one day, one of the union guys came in to me, and he says, Joe, he says, uh, the, uh, the non-bargaining people, they get more vacation, they get more holidays. Uh, you know, you know why, uh, why do we have a union? And I, was, <laughs> I said, Jim, I can't talk to you about this, but I can give you the name of my attorney, and you're free to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get in the middle of that one. You, you can't. <laughs> That's so, right. That's so, But I had had uh, four... Uh, NLRB National Labor Relations Board uh, suits brought against me by uh, by union members. One of them was uh, 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 the union brought a suit against me because they found out that I had given the uh, uh, the bargaining people uniforms, and so I wanted them to look nice out in the field. And the union said, "That's not your prerogative to give them something. That's." for me to negotiate it for them. And uh, so I, I had to defend myself. Wow. <laughs> Another one, Conrad, the one, sale, the one salesman we had, uh, took a, a small miter saw in the back of his company station wagon down to wood mode and delivered it to him. And I got a union grievance and an LRB suit because I was taking a union task away from a union member. That's incredible. It was up to the union guy to deliver that machine. Wow. 
That's incredible. So, but the union was gone. Yeah. Well, good. It, uh, I'm sure that for five people, that had to be a pain for right. you. Right. Yeah. And so we built the uh, uh, built the service crew back uh, back up after that. How many those? How many service techs did you have I at the end there? Think think we we're seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, well, that was probably a little more than that because I really, uh, uh, the robotics engineers, uh, they weren't really service people, but the, they were in the technical side of it. Uh, and I think we had up to four people in the machine shop. So, uh, but the, the machinery service people, I think there was uh, just five, the guys that would go out in the, uh, in the field and, and work on machines. Mm. And you were fairly you you got into the robotics thing fairly yes. early. Yeah, we were uh, 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 a. Uh, I mean, for our industry anyway. A Fanuc uh, uh, robotics integrator, uh, and that was uh, my son Ian's uh, uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. Uh, He's an engineer, right? No. Oh, uh, no. He uh, the younger boy Matt is an engineer. Oh, okay. But. Uh, uh, no, Ian uh, was uh, his degree was in economics. Oh, okay. Well, I, I I misunderstood that. He's one. very technical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's a good technician. Mm. Yeah, I know he does a lot of work on machines right. himself. So and I knew I knew he was the one led the uh, robotics thing. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, we weren't in it long enough to uh, build it up to where it was making a profit for us. It right. Was still uh, infancy. In its infancy, so yeah. yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's machine spotlight. This week, we have a Marine Johnson 1105-G CNC dovetailer. This is a five-spindle machine powered by five-horsepower TEFC motor, wired for a 230-volt three-phase. This machine was new in 2018 and has 721 hours. If you'd like more information on this machine, you can reach us at 570-584-2002 or email us at sales at rtmachine.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Great. Well, Joe and I are doing all the talking. You guys got any questions for Joe? <laughs> so what was your, on SCM, I know we were buying equipment from you back in the mid-80s there. When when did that all start with SCM? Well, let's see. Claire and I bought the company in, in 1987, and by about 1989, um, I decided I wanted to, focus the business on fewer lines rather than trying to uh, offer everything to everybody. Wanted to uh, start directing the business into focusing on, on a line, and I chose SEM. And so we aligned with SEM and um, uh, got to the point where we were one of their largest dealers, and um, I was uh, buying a lot of uh, container loads directly from Italy through SEM in the in the U.S. and uh, also I was buying a lot of their uh, uh, trade-in and and warranty return type machines. I I think uh, on one trip down there I ended up buying seven tractor trailer loads of their used machines. Oh wow! So, scratch um, and dent sale. Scratched and dent sale. So, <laughs> we, we did that once. Wasn't that many truckloads? Yeah, not seven truckloads. No. But <laughs> they uh, the fear that uh, that uh, John Gangone of uh, SEM had at that point was that, geez, if I buy all these used machines, I'm not going to sell any new yeah, machines. Yeah, I definitely had a fear of that. But in fact, we had our best new machine sales in the years that we had the most of their scratched and dent inventory. Hmm, that's interesting. When get people in looking at the uh, scratched and dent, they end up buying a new. Oh yeah, really upgrade them. Huh. Yeah, I know when John Gangone came here and he walked out into that the big building there with all the equipment and his eyes did not they were not happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the attention's away from him. Yep. And then uh, at some point you became Sierra Andre dealer. You became one of their largest dealers too, I assume. Right. We had, when uh, we bought Hermance, we were a Thermwood dealer. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, Thermwood decided that they only wanted to have independent agents that were exclusive to them and didn't handle anything else. Uh, 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 Ken Cisnera, the owner of, of Thermwood, uh, at one point uh, told me that Selling a customer a molder, an SEM molder, 
was in competition with their uh, routers because a router can do anything that a molder can do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't know, didn't know the machine. He didn't know what a molder did, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they they um, they fired us, and um, I uh, picked up the uh, CR Onsrud line. And, of course, I'd known uh, 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 the Onsruds for, from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, in fact, uh, Matt worked at Onsrud for one summer uh, uh, during college as an intern. And oh, huh. He worked for a dealer out west for a while too, right? Well, uh, yes, after he went out to um, Unique Machine and uh, worked for them for, uh, for about two years. And we had a, uh, a, um, a Yumi meeting, uh, uh, the used machinery group, uh, in in, Os- in uh, uh, Phoenix. And um, uh, while we were out there, of course, Matt uh, joined his mother and I uh, and the other dealers in th- at the meeting. And uh, the local dealer out there recruited Matt. Oh, yeah? And so he then went to work for for that dealer, what was his name? I forget that name because uh, they're gone now. Yeah, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, that's why uh, Matt ended up coming back because uh, uh, Skates uh, was the name of it. Uh, mm. uh, sold a uh, whole plant, uh, new plant startup in the, uh, and that was in 2007, I think. And uh, then when the uh, housing market went bust, that company failed to pay their bills and it oh. put skates out of business right? and, mm. and uh, my son came back and his brother recruited him to the work in the family business oh okay so he didn't it wasn't like a planned thing where you sent him to see our hundred to learn a unique to learn it just kind of happened or uh sent him to uh to andrew to learn uh and tom uh, andrew had never had uh, interns there and uh, but then he, his son was about the same age, and so uh, the, the, and so the, he said, okay, well let's let's have a couple of kids in here for uh, for a summer, and mm. so uh, the, I, I assume they've done more of it since then, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What's well, my son Derek started uh, working yeah. for you while he was in college that's at, right. at uh, Williamsport Pentech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that too. Did a couple of years there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's done a good job for us and our service team. So thanks for training him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk um, about going going back to the beginning. Um, you lose your your job at the previous company because of the business change. Um, the thought process of rather than go look for a job, I'm going to look for a company to buy. Like how does how did the discussions go with the family? Like. Uh, you mind sharing some of that thought process? It's interesting to me. Well, it was interesting to me at the same time. Also, I uh, uh, my wife claims that I never interviewed anybody uh, for a job, but uh, I reminded her of a couple of trips I'd taken to New York City. I was interviewing the uh, major banks down there. Most of my working career up till then was in the finance area, and so uh, a lot of. Um, uh, equipment financing worldwide, uh, that end of it, the international end of it. And uh, then I also interviewed uh, a couple of, of uh, banks in, in Pittsburgh, but it seemed as though I was kind of getting stuck in this rut of interviewing banks. And um, frankly, uh, banking doesn't really uh, excite me. It doesn't, I mean, that's uh, uh, essentially a, a kind of a, a low stress uh, uh, type career, you, you get comfortable, but um, don't go very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only after uh, uh, actually a, a, a banking friend of mine uh, is the one that introduced me to this uh, business broker up in the North Hills of, of Pittsburgh and said, you got to go see Agnew Business Services. They're really good people, and they'll, uh, they might be able to help you find a, uh, uh, an opportunity. And that's when I started that, uh, that job that uh, after or that uh, task that two weeks later led me to signing the papers to buy Hermann's. <laughs> wow. And Claire was 
all on board? Was she scared? Was, we were, young we were, you had young children, right? Yeah, yeah we had uh, three preschoolers. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a scary time. Now, I, I was fortunate in that I, I was uh, had a, uh, a senior enough position with Joy Manufacturing that I had a, uh, a golden parachute. So they continued my salary for a year. Mm. Uh, and... Um, uh, it was uh, it was funny after buying Hermiants. Uh, technically, I my uh, salary continuation should have stopped, but every two weeks, as president of Hermiants, I had to sign uh, send a letter to them certifying that I, as a Hermiants employee, was not taking a salary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way to do it. But, but, uh, you know, in 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 buying the company, uh, I couldn't afford to just write out a check and buy Hermes Machine Company, uh, and so uh, uh, the seller held some paper, and also I didn't buy most of the inventory. It was it uh, stayed there on consignment, yeah. and so. Uh, but after after two years, first two years were profitable. Now the first year I wasn't taking a salary, so. Uh, it made it a little easier, and it was probably four years until Claire started picking, taking a salary. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, the uh, we were profitable enough. I went to the bank and said, okay, I've got two good years under my belt, profitable. I want to uh, uh, take out a bank loan in order to pay off the seller and uh, and finish that. So I, I uh, there was still a couple of uh, views machines in the inventory, and we uh, – uh, that were there on consignment, so we we reached a deal. I, I paid him off. Actually, as I recall, the in the monks family there were uh, uh, seven or eight shareholders. Mm. Uh, so John had two sisters. He had uh, three children, and the one sister I think had uh, one or two children. And so they, uh, each of them had had shares. Oh. So I, every month I would I would make out all these different checks for their share of the. Of the monthly payment. Oh, I'm glad you're glad when that was done. <laughs> it the relationship with the Monks family, with John Monks in particular, it it just could not have been better. I couldn't have succeeded without his support and uh, and helped me along for those 22 months. Yeah, that's great. What did he do afterwards? Just uh, retire and fade off, or he, sunset? Uh, they uh, he and Simone, his wife uh, Simone, who. Uh, was a, a French woman that he met uh, when he was in the service overseas. Uh, brought her back to Williamsport. They uh, they moved out to uh, the state of Washington to be near their son David, and I think they had a daughter that lived out in that same area also. But then, uh, uh, within a year of moving out there, uh, they visited the Seattle Zoo, and somehow uh, John. Uh, contacted a uh, uh, contracted a uh, a brain uh, disease from an animal uh, and it uh, uh, hmm. with within another year he was dead oh, really he oh. got to the point where he had uh, like uh, he had lost his memory uh, and he couldn't if he went out the front door he couldn't find his way back home wow and John was a uh, superb card player he his mind was just as sharp as a tack and really uh, huh so he didn't live very long after he re- finally retired. Mm. So what are you up to now? Well, fully retired. Mentioned to you earlier, I have all the time in the world, but anything I want to do takes all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about it. You used to be an avid golfer. You don't do as much of that anymore. I just don't, don't seem have, to be don't able have any time. I don't fit it into my <laughs> schedule. <laughs> That's pretty much how that goes, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way it works. Yeah, and you're doing a little traveling. You said uh, with your wife. I have a small motorhome, and uh, we like to travel around. And we also have a condominium out uh, in Harmony, Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh. I used to travel quite a bit. I mean, you used to travel all over the place. All over the resorts. world. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, anybody else got any other questions? It's a pretty amazing story, really. Yeah. Absolutely. How did, how did you come about that uh, Worth seek you out to buy you? Or when when it became obvious that I that uh, 
it wasn't going to work out for my two sons to take over the business. That had been my dream for just years and years and years. And uh, uh, But there were personality reasons why it just couldn't work out. I uh, went to a business broker here in Hughesville and uh, uh, said, I'm I want to put the business up for sale. And uh, so um, uh, he was, he came up with a couple of people that, uh, uh, in fact, had one uh, hard offer, and um, it was less than 10% of what the deal was with Hearth. Worth. I mean, mm. they just. Uh, uh, He's trying to steal it. They, they wanted to steal it. Wanted- Don't tell anybody it was us. Uh, no, we don't no, want to spread that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, when when Gary was kind of running out of prospects, I, I said, well, contact the Worth Company. And uh, they had bought Aikens right. up, up in New Hampshire. And so he did and, and uh, hit a hot button. And it took about two years working with the Germans to uh, finally put the deal together. But uh, uh, Yeah, I heard they're very detailed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just, I, I finally, uh, 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 at one point, I they had in the uh, asset purchase agreement uh, the, that we signed, I think in in November uh, of uh, 2020, I believe it was, uh, that uh, they wanted to close by uh, March, but they had until uh, July 31st to close, and so. Uh, uh, Came March, they were still asking questions, still fiddling around, and uh, uh, finally, beginning of July, I said, uh, "All right, guys, the ultimatum. By July 15th, we're I'm walking." And they stretched out to July 31st. <laughs> <laughs> they took it to the end of their deal, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the dichotomy between those two deals is pretty wild, right? In 1987, you said two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to two year over two years it took for the worth deal to go down. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the our Stratoplane deal in October of 2021, it probably took three months. And it was smooth, but even just nowadays, I guess, maybe it's a sign of the times, the due, due diligence on both sides yeah. is so much more detailed. Oh, yeah. It's, times are different now than they were back then. Absolutely. The mountain of paperwork. Well, and you were too, you know, in your case, you were dealing with one. In the, well, I guess you had the family that had to make the decision on John's but, side. Or? Uh, John had all the voting stock. Okay. But he had, I think, uh, 18 or 19% of the total ownership stock, but 100%. Uh, okay. Voting stock. So he made the deal. That made it easier. Yeah, it definitely does. Especially when you're dealing with two gentlemen that can openly talk and right. shake their hands and say we got a right. deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, with John and I, there was there was nothing, no hidden agendas. Uh, I uh, I was willing to pay exactly his asking price, but he had to accommodate me on the uh, terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Right. Do you know at all what happened to the the other? Um, company that was involved or the other person that supposedly it was under contract with? The, from what I understood, uh, there was a, a buyer that um, lived in Baltimore, and he was two years away from being fully vested in his uh, uh, retirement benefits with the company he was working for. And his idea was to buy the company a- and run it for the balance of his working career, but uh, to prepare his son to take it over. Mm. And so uh, his tentative offer he had, subject to him getting the financing, was that he wanted John to stay on for two more years until he finished uh, getting vested in his retirement and then stay on even longer to teach him the business. Mm. And uh, that wasn't very attractive to John. John. John really wanted to retire. Yeah, right. How old was he at the time? Well, he was 65, finally, when uh, we closed the deal. So. No, he wasn't that old. No. Yeah. But Not in today's standards. Right. No. <laughs> so he didn't make it to 68. So, How old are you, by the way? I'm 78. 78. Yeah, just a little bit younger than my dad. Yeah. yeah. Interesting well, that a stumbling block like that made such a difference in your life, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. The deal, <laughs> you know, but for that, the deal wouldn't have happened. And what do, what do you think you'd even be doing right now? <laughs> You know, my life is Jiffy Lube, right? My life has been been, <laughs> been, been full of that. When I, I uh, uh, 
after uh, after Penn State, I was facing either the draft or uh, or graduate school. So I decided to go to graduate school, and I uh, uh, I had applied to the University of Florida. So I said, oh, I'll go down and have, have a good time in Florida, and I did have a good time in Florida, and uh, I. Uh, uh, hurt my back pretty bad um, uh, stepping off of a surfboard. And so mm. while I was uh, hobbling around, I went to the Jacksonville Naval Air Station for a, uh, a physical for for the service. And they said, why do you have that big lift on your left heel? And I said, well, here's what the doctor says about it. And they said, hey, get out of here. <laughs> You're not going to the service. And so I went back to uh, Gainesville and I said, okay, I'm – I'm withdrawn. I'm I'm done with school, and I uh, drove back up to Pennsylvania, and that's when my dad said, "Well, he says there was uh, uh, an ad in the paper for Piper Aircraft looking for a cost accountant," and uh, he says, "I I called him and I made an, uh, an appointment for you to go up there." <laughs> and so they uh, I interviewed for the cost accounting job, and they said, "Well, we also have an open position for in our credit department," and so. Uh, I uh, interviewed for that, and uh, Claire Monroe, C-L-A-R, C-L-A-I-R, without the E. My wife has an E on her name, Claire, but he had the male version. But uh, he uh, he offered me uh, me the job on the spot, which uh, uh, I, I loved working for Piper, but uh, they the, um, they were not a very profitable company at that point, and so I wasn't getting anywhere. Uh-huh. I uh, mentioned to my contact at Pittsburgh National Bank, what a, which was where we were financing a lot of the planes uh, that we, uh, that I was involved in. Um, uh, my contact there said, uh, told me, he says, well, he says, I'm, in two weeks I'm leaving and I'm going to another bank out in Ohio. And I mentioned something, oh, geez, uh, sounds like a good opportunity. I would uh, uh, do something like that or whatever. I made a comment that uh, said, well, would you be interested in and making a move, and I said, if the right move was right, I, I would. He goes, join manufacturing's looking for an international credit manager. Uh, uh, he says, I'll I'll make a, a contact with them, see if they want to talk to you. And so I went out and talked to them. They hired me on the spot, hmm. and uh, they they weren't offering any financing internationally at all. And so I brought the skills working with the Export Import Bank to. Uh, uh, provide financing for essentially mining equipment worldwide. Hmm. Are they still around? Joy. Yeah. Uh, Joy. The reason why I lost my job at Joy was because uh, uh, they were taken private by oh, uh, right. Adler, Shaken, and Arps. And uh, uh, on Halloween night, 1986, uh, uh, that day, my my task was to ride in the company helicopter with the investment bankers going around to a number of the Joy properties for their doing their due diligence, and so it was on that day where I knew for sure that I was going to lose my job after this deal went down. And mm. uh, and I remember it was Halloween because I called Claire from uh, our our last stop uh, before dropping the bankers off. I said we're going to be at Pittsburgh International in about a half an hour. Uh, bring Ian over and we'll take him on the company helicopter up to Franklin, Pennsylvania, where my car was parked. And uh, uh, just a few years ago, Ian mentioned to me, yeah, I missed Halloween trick-or-treating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care about the helicopter ride. Huh? <laughs> but, but that was October or November around in that uh, time frame, whenever Halloween is. And uh, of course, I, I lost my job then. I, I was given the final notice in uh, April or March or April or something like that. But uh, from about January on, my only task working, going into work every day was to find another job. The uh, hmm. kind of a sad time. Yeah, yeah. I bet it was. Yeah, scary time too. I'm sure. Yeah. It's funny. I know we bought a lot of equipment off you over the years at Crailing. Absolutely. You guys uh, always took care, good care of us, and. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as uh, any business, we probably made mistakes here and there, but uh, uh, but I think we always suffer, uh, always enjoyed a good reputation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, we've competed against you since the beginning, and right, but we never we didn't bump heads. No, because we we did a lot of different things. Yeah, 
and we got along fine. I yeah. mean, we bought and sold equipment to each other and worked right. on a couple of deals together. So right. I never had a problem with you and your company. Right. So there's plenty of business out there for all of us. There's always enough business. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a great relationship. And I, anybody else got anything? I think other than that, yeah, uh, I, think I really appreciate you coming in and spending the time with us and hearing your story. I mean, I, I had little pieces of that, but I didn't know yeah. the whole thing for sure. So. Yeah. Very interesting. So. Well, I, I could go on for quite a while about some of the stories that uh, uh, that happened along the way, but you got the highlights. <laughs> There's any other stories you want to share? We got plenty of time on the tape here. <laughs> yeah, you, you said that you've um, off air. You said that you've done presentations like not like this, but you've gone to uh, I guess like Homing College, That's you said, what right, or Penn Tech, and kind of give presentations about about your history and how. Yeah, uh, a a fellow I met golfing, uh, of course I belong to Williamsport Country Club, and this fellow belongs to Eaglesmere, and uh, each year the two clubs would have what they called intermatch, interclub matches, and uh, I got to play golf with this uh, uh, guy who uh, uh, teaches a course in entrepreneurship at Lycoming, and he asked me if I would uh, come in and tell the story, which... uh, did it several times. So that's basically what you told us. Essentially, they, 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 the more, more about the uh, uh, the task of, of of buying and then selling the company, mm-hmm. which is what the the students in the entrepreneur class were more interested in. Mm-hmm. But what's your handicap? High. <laughs> <laughs> you go like I do then. <laughs> Seriously. I make a better heckler on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> he golfed all, since you were young, man, all the time. No, I oh. didn't start until I was. Well, actually, uh, uh, Matt got me started when Matt was fourteen. Uh, he uh, said, "Dad, uh, uh, let's go play golf." And I said, "Well, I think your mo- your mother has a set of clubs here, and I have a set of clubs here which we hadn't used in years." So we went down to White Deer, and we played the par three and we did that about four or five more times that that fall and i said geez i really i like this so <laughs> i uh, put my name on the waiting list at williamsport country club and um they had uh, i had to wait 39 months to get my really? golf membership there wow there was a long waiting list meanwhile matt was playing for the lawsock uh, uh high school uh, uh, golf team and he was able to play at the williamsport country club and I couldn't because I was on the wait list, I was, but I was paying dues. <laughs> Do you uh, you belong to a lot of organizations locally? I mean, were you involved in any politics locally at one point? Not politics per se. I was active in the uh, chamber. I was right. I was yeah. I was on the chamber board for quite a number of years as chair of the of the chamber for uh, one term. I was uh, on the uh, uh, industrial properties. Uh, 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 Corp, which is part uh, part of the chamber, and I was chair of that for a while. Mm. So I was aware of your deal buying this uh, 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 building at the time. Oh. I was on the industrial. Well, thanks board. for not stopping it. <laughs> you didn't get blocked on that. He's just watching us. <laughs> Did you know that, Dan? No, I didn't. Know. I didn't know that he knew about. There that. was no reason for you to know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I wouldn't know. Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) It is interesting. I think the the first time I ever heard the name Joe Strauss, I I mean, I was I was young. I was fifteen, maybe turning sixteen when we bought this building, and we used to have a what was it a fourteen foot Marine Johnson two pass door sizer out there in the building. Remember what I'm talking about? Uh, Yeah, it wasn't a two pass, was it? It was your your Marine Johnson was a twelve foot. It was it was one half of a two pass. Okay. Yes. He, he yeah, had a right. twelve foot double antenna in there that that we had had an order for, and then some rigger stopped on my behalf and told me it wasn't twelve foot, which lost me the order, and Joe the order, and then uh, I guess in order to compensate for that, I told you I'd bring it in here and right. store it because it was kind of in your way. Right. And uh, and that it was here for a while, and then you sold it. Actually, we didn't sell it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get much for it. So yeah, your rigor did cost yeah, both cost, of us. It cost of money. both of us a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we brought that down here because uh, we sent a truck up to pick it up, the first load, and uh, 
I came down here and, and we had that big 25,000 pound forklift because you had to skate it on. It took you some time to get it on. Right. And we had it off in like minutes and the truck was right back. And then you showed up here. I think you were scared that we just <laughs> tied a chain to it and drug it off the truck because you just showed up here to find out what happened to your, I, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, then you saw we had this big 25,000 pound forklift that unloaded it. <laughs> As I said, Joe just showed up here to make sure I didn't wreck his machine. <laughs> But yeah, that uh, that sat here for too long. Yeah, and it's a shame. It was a out. good machine, but yeah. So, all right. Cool. Well, I think that's uh, good. We, again, we really appreciate you coming in. It was a good time. I uh, appreciate right. the the information and talking to us. Well, I enjoyed the opportunity to talk to people that wanted to hear the story. Yeah, my uh, wife is tired of hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, she lived it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Till next episode. See you then. If you plan to attend the Wood Pro Expo in Lancaster, PA on October 12th and 13th, don't forget to stop by and say hello. We'll be in booth 503. Don't forget to support our buddies at Green Street Joinery by subscribing to the American Craftsman Podcast and their new YouTube channel, Today's Craftsman. Both links in the description of today's podcast.